We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome on in to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, John McKechnie, joined by Mario Puig. Today's episode, training camps are open all across the league, so we're going to get into some ADP movement. How much is the market reacting and overreacting to some of the latest news and buzz around the league? And we're also going to get into part three of Mario's rookie dossier, looking at some of the um, new guys who are making splashes across training camp and how to handle them in your respective fantasy drafts, but mostly in the best ball context. So a lot to get to today. Let's fire it up. Welcome on in. This is the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast brought to you by our friends over at Dynasty Owner. Fancy football for dummies and fan tracks. So got a lot of friends here today. Um, and and as we move on through the football season, but Mario, camp is here. Like things are happening. We're starting to see the training camp play by play from from the beat reporters, and you know we're starting to see people run in all sorts of different directions with the tweets that that are coming out. Um, and you know st- the discourse is already off the rails as as it usually is this time of year. You can kind of set your watch to it, but um, you know, how, how are you settling in? Does, does this all feel real? Are you, are you kind of into like, this is football season mode now? It's popping off, John. Uh, I don't know <laughs> if it's, uh, it doesn't quite feel like the season's close or anything, but um, it does feel like, you know, uh, although we're heading into the fall, it, it feels like spring is here in a, the sort of story of uh, the chronology, the unfolding of what we, care about uh events wise then that's you know the, the real season of the spiritual season that we actually live through rather than these fleeting earthly climates that you know just don't even stay with us for a full two years at a time anymore this is what it's actually uh about life and you know spirituality to me correct yeah and we, and we embrace them uh also it is leo season i'm a leo so you know i'm, I'm really just how does that work? Does that mean you just start to do very Leo things even more than usual, or do you become like a werewolf for a month? Uh, what what happens with those? I'm pretty sure um, that that's the case. Um, you know, as a Leo, I I'm not really sure what that's supposed to mean exactly. So I'm I'm a little bit 
<laughs> out on a limb here, but uh, okay. whatever it is that I'm supposed to be doing, I am more, I am me, but more so this month. Because, like, yeah, they, they have the horoscopes year-round, but then when it's, like, your month for the thing, presumably you become very, uh, you know, Super Saiyan or something of, of the prior trends. I can I can feel it, and it's fortuitous for me as someone who works in like the you know the football space. Uh, you know, I feel like my my brain is like on extra alpha mode as you know if, at the perfect time, really. That's good. Um, I think I'm a, uh, I'm a, I'm in June, so uh, I'm, I'm on the downswing, I guess now. <laughs> just just coming off of a crazy of uh, month and, and a half. Taste and and uh, durability are on the decline. <laughs> Uh, well, let's salvage what you have left uh, because th- there is uh, a lot of items to, to get to here uh, today. So uh, the first thing I-, I wanted to talk about is the fact that, you know, over the course of l- these last few months, we- we've talked about best ball and, you know, our-, our listeners, I think a lot of them do do play best ball. But the reason why you play best ball in a lot of cases and the reason why you draft early is to guard yourself against the, the sort of training camp chaos. And of course, like you leave yourself open to, you know, your team just getting Ravens from last year, having a ton of, you know, bad injuries and uh, things just not working out for your team. But you can also lock in values on guys that you simply are not going to get once, you know, August hits, once training camp opens, that type of thing. So I, I think the a couple of the guys that, that really come to mind uh, for me and, and we'll, we'll kind of uh, take a bite in order your thoughts on James Robinson, not, not being on the pup list, d- despite, you know, coming off of the Achilles injury. Well, I'm a pretty big James Robinson fan. So I had been drafting him quite a bit uh, as early as something like the 13th, but that was, that was just like my first draft, I think. And then I saw like, Oh, I'm, I'm a few rounds ahead of the ADP for some reason. I, that, I just couldn't believe that was the case, but it was. So I stopped taking him there. started taking him a lot in like the you know 16th, 17th. One time I got him in the 18th round and I didn't even want to take him, but I was like, I can't let James Robinson go on draft or let one of these other idiots get James Robinson in the 18th round. Uh, so I took him even in, in that one. Uh, yeah, 18th round, James Robinson. there. So I always thought the, the doom and gloom around him was completely hysterical. I don't know. I don't even know what people thought they were thinking. I, I can't even get to, to the step one of figuring out what they thought was going on. So uh, that will always remain a mystery to me. But to me, especially in light of the, the way Cam Akers came back in literally six months. And uh, I, know I, I know that he had poor production uh, from games uh, like three through five or whatever, however many games he played after coming back. But he very clearly was himself. He just isn't as good as a lot of people hoped. And he had some tough matchups. Uh, bless you. Uh, so he, he did not pl- produce poorly in the playoffs because of his Achilles tendon. And in, in that Arizona game, his first one back, uh, the, the acres super fans were all like, Oh man, he looks faster than ever. He look how, how much he's back. And then, you know, the defense got tougher and they were like, Oh, he's clearly hurt. Uh, so no, I, I think clearly, you know, Achilles tears are not what they were even five years ago let alone, you know, God, 10, 15, 20, whatever, that that was an injury that would pretty much end your career back in the day. Uh, and, and only in the past, like, 15 years do guys start coming back in, you know, a year and a half, two years back to what they were, if at all. And, of course, running back is not a spot where it, where it tends to go that well. Deontay Foreman is the main example people point toward. But um, he also was just kind of uh, – he, he was the wrong kind of guy to get an Achilles tear, if that makes sense. Like, with these injuries, you want the guys who live in the weight room and are just – 
totally focused on football, which James Robinson absolutely is, and Cam Akers is too, uh, to be fair to him. But Deontay Foreman was always a guy who um, his his like playing time and uh, sort of just acknowledgement as a player lagged behind his talents. So it would kind of make sense if he was not really the kind of guy to, to push himself 110% or something like that. But uh, in any case, Robinson had his injury uh, more recently, of course, than Foreman did. And since, and in between, I think Emmanuel Sanders tore his Achilles tendon at age 34, mm-hmm. uh, sorry, 34, like 32 or something. And um, I know that's not the same as running back, but he came back in like seven months or something. And, and he was basically himself. Uh, Broncos managed to trade him to the 49ers or whatever that was back at the time. So uh, I, I just thought, you know, something's different about sports medicine nowadays than it used to be. And uh, I just I just thought at worst, James Robinson plays uh, 10, 12 games this year. So I, I can't claim to have foreseen this exactly. I, I kind of figured he'd be on the PUP list and uh, brought into training camp in like the last week or something like that. And then maybe still end up on the PUP regular season list. But uh, yeah, apparently they're planning on him being there week one. And it's like, what the hell is anyone going to criticize him about now? I mean, they, they can just think oh, he's just going to be bad when he comes back. But uh, even if he is, he was going way too late before. Uh, well, now my Snoop Connor shares have gone poof. Pretty much. I mean, he's he's good, and I, I got I to gotta get to him in this next article, actually. Uh, if Robinson misses time, I think Connor is a totally good plug-in for them. He's going to be good depth, totally reasonable pick for them. But if Robinson is upright, he's the real deal. And I think a lot of people, too, I think some of his ADP being so cold earlier this offseason is that people do still, in large part, not not most people necessarily, but like more than what is merited, more than what's warranted, there's people who just think James Robinson never was good because he's undrafted, and they're just probably wrong about a lot of things. Yeah, I mean, if you don't think that James Robinson's good after his his first season, I don't I don't really it's Calvinism is total to nonsense. You. There's no basis yeah. in reality for it. So. Assuming that that you know Robinson comes out, maybe is available week one, it, and you know kind of reaches full form by by the end of September, you know how do you feel about your ETN exposure at this point? Do you, do we think that we start to see kind of like an an ETN ADP freeze or, or maybe a, a slight decline in li- in light of this Robinson news? Um, you know what what are your thoughts there? Because I I, I kind of I was personally under the assumption that Robinson might not be as big of a factor this year. And I, I thought that it was complete wheels up for ETN. It, could that still be the case? And, and can they both eat? You know, like I think the Jaguars are a fascinating team because they're like one of the few cases, not not just from last year, but in recent memory, where you literally can't apply anything from, from a season ago to this year. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I guess someone might find it interesting that I'm both – higher on James Robinson than everybody and still oh, why, higher. Why do we like Snoop Connor, by the way? Well, Julia Jay wants to know it's hard He's to good power know. runner. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to know. I don't know how limited his talent actually is. I mean, he's probably not a three down guy. He's probably not a passing down guy, but we don't really know that Jerry and Ely was the one who was taking that work at Mississippi and he's legitimately good at that stuff. Like Ely might not be an NFL runner, but he's a really good college player. And he was specifically good at the kind of passing down stuff that sort of just left Connor with nothing to do but power running. But it is true that he could be limited to that kind of power running. I just it's almost like a Damian Pierce thing where I don't know because he just never uh, had his workload scaled up. 
But in the meantime, he did really good with what he had, and his athletic testing was pretty good. Uh, I don't know who to compare him to exactly, but he, he's got to be better than, I don't know, like Peyton Barber types. I like, think that kind of. He'd be at least better than Ryquel Armstead, which is, which is um, yeah. You know, we we have Armstead third on on the depth chart right now. I think Connor, Connor's you know, got that two twenty two pounds. You know, thirteen touchdowns last year. Obviously, Ole Miss put themselves in in position to score a lot, but you know, credit to him for you know making the most of those scoring chances. You know, uh, again, and not like a, a total standout athlete, but five yards of carry, and then you know you you in the fact that 13 of those carries, you know, ended ended in short yardage touchdowns, I think things look okay for him. Yeah, and that's actually exactly what I meant by the Damian Pierce comment, is that his touchdown count for his carry count is extremely high to the point that his yards per carry is misleading. Like, it might only be 5 or 5.2 or whatever, but he was basically crushing the defense the vast majority of the time they gave him the ball, which... Uh, if he's if he's just a power guy in the NFL, that's probably fine. He's got enough burst. He's got the frame to do it. But just the same, I don't I don't want to say he can't be a passing down guy just because Jerry and Ely was there, and that's I think all we really know in the meantime. Right. Yeah. Ely was specifically, you know, kind of the crown jewel of of his recruiting class at, at Ole Miss. Um, you know, he's someone that was going to get on the field no matter what. Um, Is he and, on the and- Chiefs now? Is he in Chiefs camp? I feel like Ely is not someone to just uh, delete from our memories either. He might pop up in the future. No, he's a, he's an athletic guy. Uh, he is on the on the Chiefs. That's uh, that's where we have him. Yeah, if we get, uh, UDFA. If people want to find their McKinnon of this year, they're they're annoying. No reason to expect it. Late season Chiefs pass catching back. Uh, Ely, I think, is a is a someone we should uh, not be surprised if we see in November or whatever. I saw some positive Pacheco. Uh, coming out of Kansas City, uh, you know, out, out of the press over nice. there earlier today. I'm all so. for it. I love Me too. Pacheco. I love Pacheco in that offense specifically. Is him, him and Ronald Jones are both this horse blinder style of runner, and that's at once not great for some schemes. And with the Chiefs, it's the perfect thing because, like, Damian Williams probably has bad vision or whatever, but he just annihilated in that offense because he's fast and he's powerful. The space is there, and, and Pacheco's fast and strong, so he can just – run blindfolded and be a problem in that offense. See, exactly. Love that. Um, anything else to, to kind of add on it as we wrap up the, the ETN right. Robinson? Let's circle back to ETN a bit. I think that he was only a max like 200 carry guy anyway. So I think he was headed for that. And I think he was limited to that regardless of Robinson's situation. I think Robinson is just bad for Connor, but otherwise it's pretty simply just a Mark Ingram, Alvin Kamara kind of thing to me. And uh, in, in ETN's case, he's still uh, workload-wise, usage-wise, is in the exact same category as Austin Eckler and DeAndre Swift. Like Robinson being there does not affect that, and, and Robinson being there does not preclude him having that same role. It's just going to be largely as a pass catcher. It's reasons of concern for maybe like Christian Kirk and Evan Ingram. I don't share it. I think they're going to be fine if only because they're so cheap. But that's how ETN is going to make it work. He's, he's going to be only a 10-carry-per-game, 11-carry-per-game kind of guy on the ground. And through the air, he's going to be exactly as da- at least as dangerous as DeAndre Swift. And Eckler, he's only like a once in every 15 years kind of pass catcher at running back. So I don't want to say ETN will be quite that good. But ETN, I think, is is clearly going to be ahead of DeAndre Swift next year in the ADP, even if Robinson plays 17 games. Okay. And, and you know, at, as it pertains to your your exposure on ETN, are you kind of freezing it at the moment? Or are you waiting to see if it, if it comes down a little bit? Do you ex- which direction do you expect it to go? 
believe it or not, I'm a lot heavier on Robinson and heavier yet on both of them than both of them on Rashad Penny. So I, I've gotten ETN a, a few times. If his price drops, that would be awesome. I'll gladly buy that up in bulk. Yes. All right. So I'm I'm going to be looking out for that. I, I think I'm I'm looking forward to like the the best ball over overreaction overcorrection. I was hoping, and, 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 oh, sorry. I was going to say I was hoping we'd get that with Ronald Jones, and it hasn't happened yet. So uh, I don't know. We'll see. I'm not getting my hopes too high. But if ETN starts falling into the fourth or something, like yeah, take out a loan to get to that. Yes, please. Um, before we get on over to our next player whose ADP could be on the move, we got a message from our friends over at Blue Wire. This Rotowire podcast is brought to you by my favorite meal kit, Factor. I gave Factor a try, and I can tell you firsthand eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready to eat meals. Every meal arrives fresh, not frozen, and they're chef crafted, dietitian approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. Every week, you'll have over 35 different options to choose from, and there's something for every diet, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. And there are more than 60 add ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So, what are you waiting for? Get started today and get after those wellness goals. One of my favorite things about Factor is the convenience. We're talking meals that are good to go in two minutes or less. You could fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant quality meals that are ready to heat and eat wherever you are. There's no prep, there's no mess, no cooking, no cleanup, none of that. It's perfect if you have a busy lifestyle and you can't dedicate an hour plus each day to preparing lunch or preparing dinner. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Factor also offers options for every meal. Pancakes, smoothies, you name it. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, dinner, whatever you need, Factor has it. Factor is also tailored to your schedule, so you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals each week. Plus, you could pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. We've done the math. We've run the numbers over here. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be both nutritious and delicious. Head over to factormeals.com slash rotowire50 and use the code rotowire50. That'll get you 50% off your order. That's code rotowire50 at factormeals.com slash rotowire50 to get 50% off today. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And we're back. Um, thank you, uh, those viewing on the live stream, for, for bearing with us uh, through that one. Um, but moving onward, Michael Thomas back in the news and back on the football field. How about it? Yeah. He looked kind of like himself. I don't know if you saw that clip. I mean, I don't, that stuff, it's, it's hard to know how much it means, but. 
the way I saw it, it, it Thomas was a tough case because it was very volatile and uh, the risk, it, it, it was hard to know just how much was there. And I can't remember a case like his going AWOL the previous year, like not answering his phone for three months or whatever. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's about goals. as weird as it gets. Yeah, that's even Sammy Watkins, the wacky stuff he's gotten into. I'm sure he was just like, Mike, three months? You didn't even answer your phone? Uh, <laughs> but uh, apparently whatever needed to get hashed out did. And, and, you know, knock on wood, his ankle seems okay. It seems like at least he rehabbed it, which he didn't do last year. Like part of part of the going AWOL was like he stopped getting treatment on his ankle. So he's just walking around for like a year and a half with a busted ankle. Uh, like that's, that's such a crazy person thing to do. I, I'm still a little scared, but um, crazy or not, Mike Thomas at this point seems hellbent on uh, proving his haters wrong so maybe mm, that's whereas, a powerful hate right whereas two years ago the crazy drove him uh into some kind of i don't know wandering off in the mountains on one leg for some reason uh the crazy is now being harnessed toward football again so it's like hey if, if he's physically able and he's motivated and, and his ankle isn't broken i don't see why he would fail especially i mean god his race has got to go up i think he was going like the seventh or eighth or something like that so i don't know if i'm gonna have the guts to pull the trigger in the fifth or the fourth or wherever he's gonna go now but uh, i do wish i had some exposure i don't know if i have any maybe like one team is all yeah i i have none and you know that that partially fueled my um you know all, all my olave uh enthusiasm and if i'm gonna be true to form i can't waiver I, I i think I'm i still not. have no like i, I think <laughs> that olave is still totally fine i think there there was all along the expectation that michael thomas was going to play this year so like it, it shouldn't have like flown in the face that uh, as to why i'm enthusiastic about chris olave this year and I, I still think the same things are true where michael thomas is someone who is killer on the short and intermediate stuff but olave is different like he he can win at every single level of the field he's polished I think he's going to be like ready to roll right away and like an offense like the the offense that that I think people are envisioning or or the type of usage that uh, they're envisioning for Michael Thomas like I don't think that type of thing exists anymore with no Drew Brees with with the shot arm um, no no Sean Payton like I, I don't think that there's going to be a need for New Orleans to target one guy 35% 35% of the time. Like, I think it's going to be a little bit more spread out. And I think Olave still eats a lot of that pie as, as it were. And I think that Jameis Winston more inclined once again to, to be more of a downfield passer. So like, I'm not scared when, when it comes to Michael Thomas making some camp waves. And if anything, maybe I should be happy that Michael Thomas is, is making camp waves. If I'm a big Olave investor, the way that I am. Well, to me, it's just that Olave is going to operate in a part of the field that only he and Deontay Hardy can operate in and Deontay Hardy who I think is good by the way uh he's just too small to play more than like 25 snaps a game like if they're playing from behind in the first quarter then maybe Deontay Hardy can get to 30 snaps if they play in a three four wide but otherwise Olave is the only one who can get that far Callaway can't do it uh Thomas definitely can't Landry definitely can't so I thought Olave is I think it almost would sooner help him that Thomas is back than hurt him. If only because if Thomas isn't out there and it's Jarvis Landry and like Marquez Callaway, if I'm a defensive coordinator, I'm doubling Olave. I'm not thinking about it. I am doubling him for sure. No questions asked. And it doesn't matter where he's running his route. I'm putting two people on him. So if Thomas is out there and if Thomas can establish himself as this kind of guy that you 
really need to bracket because otherwise he's, he's a threat to put 10 catches on you or whatever, then I think Olave still has the same share of the offense. It's just there's less defense there. I don't think Thomas is taking usage from anyone other than Landry. So I, I do think Landry is just about toast unless he's very, very cheap. And in redraft, I don't really want to deal with him at all. But uh, I still like Olave, be it redraft or ideally get best ball, just because I, the reason I say ideally in best ball is because I was getting and I plan to keep getting Olave as like my wide receiver five or something like that. So redraft, yeah, he's probably on your bench outside of injuries and, and bye weeks, or at least you're playing it a little, you know, a little bit uh, close at receiver. But if I can keep getting Olave as my fifth receiver, fourth receiver, I'm just going to keep hammering that. Yeah, I, I will continue to to acquire shares. And yeah, I'm not, I'm not totally sure how much Michael Thomas exposure I'll, I'll end up with. And if the price is going up, then uh, I might end up, I might up ta- taking the L and, and just having zero if he, if he ends up, you know, kind of tapping back into his previous form. But he's more I'm not sure if I'm willing to take that risk. PPR is probably where he's a little bit more worth the risk yet. Uh, like, I don't know if Thomas is a touchdown guy at all. Like, and he hasn't been historically. So, uh, in PPR, he's, he's probably a little more likely to be useful. And I don't know, like underdog, maybe, maybe he's not worth taking ahead of even like Chris Godwin, who I guess we're coming up to, uh, just because the touchdowns are so much higher projected for Brady than Winston. Right. And then, uh, a couple more, uh, things to touch on. So let, let's say that Michael Thomas's ADP goes up for guys that, that I, I view as more, I'm only interested in PPR, Michael Thomas or Amon Ross St. Brown. Oh man. Uh, I would probably go Thomas, but that's definitely more risky. I just think, mm-hmm. and I, I know Amon Ross St. Brown gives you a high floor. I think his ceiling is overstated, but if Thomas plays 17 games, I don't know how he catches fewer than like 85 passes, like worst case. Yeah, no, exactly. So that, Good to bear in mind, a good little like, you know, kind of yardstick to, to measure against there. And then Julia J wants to know, how do you rank your Saints wide receivers, the top three uh, producers? So let, let's put this in. Um, you want to do a redraft lens or a best ball lens? Because I, I feel like Hardy might be able to contribute to you more, but but like just have like three like really good weeks where he kind of like helps put you over the top. But like I, I would kind of have a stomach ache starting him just because the the lack of snap count. Yeah, Thomas is the only one that I would really feel comfortable featuring in redraft just because uh, if he's active, he's going to get used a certain way. And Olave, I love, of course, but uh, he's he's not going to be as week-to-week reliable uh, as Thomas. So in PPR, anyway, I think that'll be the case. So I definitely got to put Thomas first and Olave second. I think Olave is the cutoff for redraft kind of stuff, unless you're talking like 14-plus teams. Uh, yeah. I only think Olave and Thomas are worth using because Landry and Hardy are both useful in best ball, I think, especially Hardy in the 18th round and uh, underdog, especially with like a Winston stack. It, he's, he's useful because he'll have those weeks where he turns three targets into 90 yards and a touchdown, and he'll give you nothing but that or a, or a zero. But Landry and Hardy are too inconsistent, and in and, and Landry's case doesn't have nearly enough of a ceiling to make it worth it and redraft, in my opinion, in best ball. You only get use from Landry if it's, I don't know, ideally PPR and still cheap. You know, like we need we need them late now that Thomas is in. Yeah. Okay. That's a, that's a good uh, summation there. Appreciate the question as always, Julia. Uh, let's get on over. Let's stay in the NFC South. 
Chris Godwin, I think, made, made some people pretty surprised earlier this week by, by reporting to camp and not being on the PUP list. So um, that's obviously very encouraging. And, you know, teams can put a guy in the preseason on, on the PUP list and activate him at any time. So the fact that he dodged that completely, really encouraging. And I think that he, he to me, is, is the guy that I have the most FOMO on um, at the moment, I really did not acquire en- enough shares of him at, at the discounted price. Yeah, I wish I could have gotten, uh, I don't know how late he would really fall, maybe like the seventh. I don't think he felt that much in the drafts that I was in, because in basketball, people very uh, more and more anyway, a lot of people look specifically at that kind of like championship range, the playoff range of the year. And so they're willing to take a guy with what what might be kind of a nasty regular season projection because they're willing to bet on specifically getting points in that playoff range. So Godwin never fell that far because I think everyone expected Tom Brady to keep throwing touchdowns in November. And uh, if they're right, then Godwin was always worth taking in something like the sixth. So I took him in the fifth, I think uh, the last draft that I did, which was after uh, not just the news of him missing the PUP list, but also the, the Julio Jones signing. So I I could imagine him getting more toward like the fourth, but the Julio signing might actually keep it surprisingly contained. Like it might, we might not see Godwin jump as much as we would expect. I guess in redraft, it would be more of a jump like in best ball for the reasons I already said, people were kind of still taking Godwin, but uh, in redraft. Yeah. Maybe, maybe people were kind of more scared of Godwin because they were like, I gotta, I gotta get those first six weeks. And so I'm going to take, whoever, I don't know who, who they were taking instead. Uh, but Julio being there might keep some people from putting too much in their Godwin projection. They might they might even think of it as like, oh, well, Godwin won't be 100% you know, this year, and Julio might be, and, and uh, certainly much more of a threat than uh, whatever Perriman and Tyler Johnson and Scotty Miller and everything else. So I don't know how, how high the hopes will get for Godwin, but yeah, I think... Uh, there was a lot of, uh, I, I think it was well reasoned enough, well, you know, researched enough medically, but there was a lot of, uh, uh, there was a tone in, in the, the Twitter scene, the, the best ball media scene of like, Chris Godwin is not playing until October. You idiots, you fools, right. you imbeciles. And, um, there's a I lot didn't, of get me wrong. I didn't predict that he would miss the PUP list in general, but a, a whole, the whole time I was kind of like, why, why are we just assuming that? I mean, the guy's a really good athlete. He's already, come back from injuries pretty well uh tom brady has a space medicine technology that no one else does you know people thank you yeah the avocado ice cream is going to be plentiful yeah so he was he was giving him uh like paleo uh paleo alien you know space technology uh, injections and, and of course that helped him heal faster than he would if he was on another team. And, you know, you got, got all these, these doctor folk who don't, who don't, they forget to factor in the extraterrestrial technology and, you know, that hopefully they've learned their lesson. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, I like the combination of both uh, the paleolithic, like primal um, type of dieting while also going inter, intergalactic um, with it at the, at the same time. I think that's the story yeah, uh, how the pyramids got built, John. <laughs> and that's how Tom Brady has been torturing us for twenty plus years, and is going to continue to do so. Yeah, well, let's hope the they lose the connection soon or whatever. 
and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to fight it every day. I, I have to take off my tinfoil hat to record this podcast. Um, but uh, your thoughts in general as, as it pertains to, to Julio, do you have any, any interest? Had you been grabbing him as like a late round guy at all with the, under the assumption? I guess you, you did actually have a tweet uh, that, that you know, foretold that, that uh, the Bucks and Julio were, were certainly a possibility. Um, so does that mean that you had gotten some like last round Julio and, and you know, how do you feel about it shaking out? Do you think that we see a rejuvenated Julio after kind of obviously a very lost year um, in Tennessee last year? I mean, he wasn't he going like in, in like the fifth round or something. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, it was crazy. Yeah. yeah. So I think Julio is still athletically imposing. Like when he was playing, when he actually played for the Titans last year, he was pretty good. It was just kind of like they couldn't get that much going. Cause AJ Brown was there of course. And B, uh, at least this is the way I'm explaining it. Tannehill just isn't very good. So I think that it was it was it was it was a, cor- a cursed situation. Even if he had stayed healthy, and maybe I'm being too hard on Tannehill, I don't know. But I think if he if he's healthy with Tampa Bay, he's going to produce to some extent. But him staying healthy also has to come with a monitored workload, both in practice and in games. So I think. Julio will start for them, but he's going to get, I think, his snap scaled back whenever they can. And that that might be uh, they got a two score lead and they're playing against whatever the Panthers. So uh, they're like, that's it. We got 10 points. Let's pack it in. Put in Cyril Grayson now. You know, that that's a that's a risk. And it's something that the Buccaneers should do, because if, if Julio is still useful, but only if he's not hurt and he gets hurt easily, then we have to limit his physical exposure. It's the only right. practical response to that. So I think they're going to pull him early when they get leads. They're going to pull him when they go run heavy. They're not going to make him block a whole lot. I think he might be limited to something like 650 snaps, even if he stays healthy all year. The catch with that is, especially if they really are pulling him on rundowns, and pulling him when they're not throwing in general because of the script reasons, then when he is on the field, he might get targeted much more per snap than people expect just because he'll only be out there for snaps where there's a high likelihood that they'll target him. Uh, Whereas most receivers, you know, the guys who play 1100 snaps and maintain sky high per snap target volume, like they're, they're doing that through base functions. I don't know if Julio is going to truly be a base uh, part of their offense. I think it's going to be more like, the opening drive, like when they're trying to score quick, he's on the field. So that'll happen plenty of times, but that defense is good. That running game should be totally good. They don't, they're not going to put him on the field when, when they don't really need the score right now, I think. Okay. Inter- that's an interesting or, read. Or like though. bad weather games. You might sure. see him just not really play a whole lot if it's raining or something. Yeah. Cause you know, one slip, the old hamstring goes and, and you know, that that's that. So yeah. And does this complicate things? I, I know we're not uh, a Russell Gage podcast as if you've listened to us ever um, that that's been established. Um, but, you know, do, do you think that this ends up, it does like, who does Julio, uh, whose plate does he eat off of? A little bit of Mike Evans, actually. So I, I took mm-hmm. Mike Evans a couple times at the end of the first round in some drafts out of the assumption that Godwin would miss time and they weren't going to add Julio Jones. Uh, so I do regret that. I mean, Evans is the man. He's still going to catch 12 touchdowns or whatever. But I thought he might do like 1,400 yards and 15 touchdowns or something. And that's if Julio stays healthy and if Godwin is back, 
that's kind of off the table. Uh, but uh, whatever the case, Gage is yeah, he was a he was a badly thought out pick. I think I think he was a badly thought out pick, even if Godwin missed as much time as his pessimist said, and even if the Buccaneers hadn't signed Julio Jones, I do think Russell Gage will be a good swing backup type. Like he's going to be the slot guy when Godwin isn't on the field and uh, he can play a little bit outside if they want to put whatever great or Otten at, at slot receiver as tight ends or something like that. He can, he can do that. He can move outside, but I don't think he's going to be a featured player of theirs. It's going to be kind of like game plan specific matchup specific. Uh, if they want to just, establish a slot threat one week before they go against another opponent to set them up with some, you know, misleading tape. That's when they get gauge involved. I don't think they're ever going to get out there. Like, Oh, we, we need a first down and only Russell gauge can get it for us. Like that's not a scenario <laughs> that'll happen. No. And, and, uh, nor could it really be executed, uh, either. in in my opinion, um, yeah. Uh, so, oh, sorry, I meant to say, uh, Julio was going something like, I, I want to say the 15th and 16th usually, and it was taking him quite a bit there, just because there were these other guys who were like, yeah, Julio's not on a team, what this guy's going to get cut from his, and you're still taking him ahead of Julio, so that never made sense to me. I took him in the late 12th in the draft that I took Godwin. Uh, I, I think he's going to start settling in in like the 10th or 11th, and I don't know if I want to pay that price myself, even as a relative Julio optimist. Okay. All right. So we're, we're looking for that one to, to be moving up well, well past the, the point where he's cheap slash free um, yeah. in drafts like, like he has been uh, for much of the offseason, of course. Uh, before we get on over to, to some rookies, our favorite topic always, uh, Julia does want to know Jameis Winston. You know, he had that 5,000 passing yard season a couple years ago. If he plays 15, 16 games this year, would you put money on him crossing that 4,000 yard threshold? So obviously a different offense. You don't have the Mike Evans, uh, Chris Godwin combo to to work with quite the same uh, in New Orleans. Better defense probably. Like I think yeah. the Buccaneers defense yeah. has sucked back then. Um, but uh, yeah, four thousand is not a high bar for the seventeen game. It's not even a high bar anymore for the sixteen game season. I mean, we got some guys putting up four thousand uh, who who would have been putting up twenty five hundred if it was nineteen ninety nine. Uh, mm-hmm. So the game's is easier to throw than it used to be, and that extra game is huge. So, yeah, if, if Jameis plays 15 games, I think he gets to 4,000. If he gets to 17, not that I think he'll go over 5,000 ever again, and certainly not this year. Uh, but 4,000, I think, is pretty modest for a 17-game projection for him. Yeah, I think that that's, that's completely attainable for, for Winston. Uh, I would imagine that he's able to, to cross that threshold with ease, again, provided that he, A, plays that many games and that ACL, you know, I guess. hold on to the I job. Know. I don't we know what's going him. on with his knee. That's true. Uh, we have him projected for just under um, 4,000 right now. I, yeah, I would take the over. Okay. All right. I think I would as well. Uh, before we get on over to the rookies, we've got a couple of messages from our sponsors. First off is Dynasty Owner. Do you love fantasy sports? Are you ready for a new challenge this year? Dynasty Owner is the new way to play fantasy football with real NFL salaries adding the strategy of running an actual NFL franchise. Dynasty Owner provides a unique and challenging experience that will test your skills as an owner and general manager. You will have complete control over your team's future. You can build through the draft, make trades, sign free agents, and manage your team's salary cap. Can you create a Dynasty of Champions? Sign up now at DynastyOwner.com and use promo code ROTO5, that's R-O-T-O-5, to receive $5 off any new team. We also got a message from our friends over at Fantasy Football for Dummies. 
Do you love fantasy football but struggle to get your friends or loved ones interested? You're in luck. Fantasy Football for Dummies is the book for you. It takes anyone by the hand and walks them through everything you need to know about playing fantasy football, from the basics of drafting to more advanced concepts and strategies for weekly play and the playoffs. There's even a new section devoted to daily fantasy sports and how to win real cash prizes. With this book, your friends and loved ones will, will get up to speed on your favorite game and be able to hold their own in any, any fantasy football league. They'll have all the information at their fingertips to make informed decisions on how to have a successful draft, who to start, and who to bench each week. And finally, they can experience the thrill of victory and avoid the agony of defeat against their competition. Who knows, they might even get good enough to beat you as well. Share the love and purchase your copy of Fantasy Football for Dummies today. And we got one more message here from our friends over at Fantrax. Now, this is fun. For you fantasy football players out there, is there something you wish your league had or features that are missing from your current leagues? Bonus scoring, custom schedules or playoffs, deeper team settings? Well, look no further because we have you covered with our friends at Fantrax. Fantrax is the most customizable fantasy platform in the industry, offering the greatest fantasy experience for your dynasty, keeper, redraft, and best ball leagues. Join MLB All-Star Jock Peterson. You know Jock Peterson, who recently announced he's moving his fantasy leagues to fan tracks. Create or join a fantasy football commissioner league. Invite your friends and dominate your draft this season. Fantrax is the top dynasty fantasy football platform in the industry. Go deep with the ultimate keeper in dynasty leagues. Create a simple redraft league or even a customizable best ball league with up to 2,000 teams. There's a reason why fantasy football players who try Fantrax make it their permanent home for all their fantasy leagues. Go to Fantrax.com slash Rotowire and sign up today. Do love Fantrax. Do use Fantrax a lot. They've they've been the the uh really the the torch bears for, for fantasy college football for, for a long time. So big ups uh to Fantrax. Yeah, no, honestly, for real. Um so yes, big ups. Love our sponsors. Let's move on. All right. Mario, you wrote some words recently about some rookies. Let's start things off. Uh, obviously, again, we, we've been talking about uh, the, the rookies to target through your rookie dossiers over the last couple of weeks. You know, the more uh, higher end guys, your, your Chris Olaves, of course, your, your, um, your Traylon Burks's, so on and so forth. Now we're getting into the later stages of the draft. We're talking about, you know, it, into the 15th round and beyond. Let's start things off with. George Pickens. So I think both of us like George Pickens as a prospect, but how do you approach him for best ball this year? So, yeah, like you said, we're both fans. I'm definitely a big fan of Pickens. I, I think he's going to be really, really good in the NFL. And uh, I think he's the kind of guy who's going to be just a winner. I think, I think he's a perfect fit for the Tomlin dynamic of just never really losing that much. Uh, he, he's almost like going to be their wide receiver, James Harrison. Uh, which is to uh, segue into terrifying to someone like me, but that's okay. Well, I'm segueing into the acknowledgement that he basically only fell into the second round, let alone as far as he did into the second round, because a lot of people think they won't be able to control him. And that's important to a lot of coaches and and scout types. Like they want to think you can be, you'll just like listen to your drill sergeant and always do what you're told. And with Pickens, they look at him and they think he's too wild. I can't make him behave, but He's he's wild as hell, yeah, but 
he's also completely obsessed with football and he's super competitive and whatever goes toward winning football games, he's going to do it. Even if he scares you the whole time, he does it. And that's something that I think the Steelers can get over more quickly than other teams. And like as much as Tomlin, of course, is all about discipline and stuff like that. But I think there's a, you know, mutual respect aspect between people like him because Tomlin earns the respect of his players and Pickens, you know, he, he might, he might take, a certain kind of coach to, to get really um, to, to earn his respect, basically like maybe, maybe Pickens is always going to work hard and, and, you know, do everything he needs to to prepare. Uh, maybe, maybe he wouldn't actually deep down respect every coach, but Tomlin, he will. And so I I'm, I'd be much more worried about Chase Claypool having like behavioral disciplinary issues than I would George Pickens. Uh, not that I'm concerned about Claypool. I just mean to say like, I am not worried about Pickens. Pickens doesn't have it. Early, I hope I'm not speaking too fast, but like I or too early, like I hope uh, I don't think it's the case that Pickens has any like off the field stuff. He, he gets in fights on the field, which is a lot of the best players do that. So I think he's going to be the man. But uh, in the meantime, Trubisky being there at once improves the passing game, I think, but also decreases the pass attempt volume of the offense. Like they're straight up just going to turn, I don't know, upwards of like 40 plays that would have been pass plays last year into Mitch Trubisky carries this year. And those carries uh, moved the clock, whereas Ben Roethlisberger's incomplete hospital balls did not. So <laughs> I think that it'll it trends toward a, a lower play count. And Trubisky, I think, will be better than Roethlisberger, but the pie will not get bigger for it. It might get smaller on the basis of volume. So uh, I think that's a problem for Pickens this year because Deontay Johnson is – I think his, his target rate is going to go down, but it's still going to be very high. He was like top five targeted receiver before – uh, so even if he declines, he'll still be like 12th at worst or something like that, uh, 15th maybe. Um, and I still think Claypool is good. So Claypool is going to run from the slot, I would I would guess, because the only other candidate they have is Anthony Miller, who they just – well, Steven Sims is still good. I, I, I believe that. But uh, <laughs> Anthony Miller is not, and I don't I haven't heard about any, anything about Steven Sims in a long time. He's better than Ray Ray McLeod. So if, they, if they're looking for someone like that, I think Sims can do it. But otherwise, Claypool is their slot receiver. He has to be. Deontay can't play the slot. He's just too fragile to do it. So Claypool's going to play the slot. Pickens is going to play outside. And Pickens is going to do good. I just don't know if he's going to get more than like 60 targets with those two. And Fryermuth. Fryermuth's yeah. good. So Najee Harris gets a lot of targets. Yeah, I think his target count will go down too. But that, that's it's just like going to Mitch rather than like Pickens or any receiver. So yeah. uh, I think... Uh, Deontay Johnson's going to walk after this year and then I love Pickens but right now I feel like he's he's a little too expensive for me and I, I don't have any shares yet even though I, I I certainly would be more interested to have shares in Dynasty or something he he fell really far in, in the fishbowl draft I think I got him in like the 16th round where where you know his ADP was closer to like the 13th or something like that so I'm, I'm comfortable with him there but um, I, th- I think you lay out a good case as to as to why um, he is a little bit uh, risky for this year. Um, let's get on over to uh, Wandale Robinson. I think not on you know, for a guy who got drafted by the Giants, you know, obviously like the biggest market in, in the NFL, I feel like the post draft, and maybe this is just kind of like where I'm, I'm my Twitter, you know, where I'm following people on, on Twitter. Maybe I'm just not seeing a, a ton of Giants content, but I feel like there's not a there hasn't been, at least to this point, maybe they're starting to, to uh, build a little bit here, but there hasn't been all that much buzz about Wandale Robinson. It's almost like they, the 
the media wanted to kick the can down the road as as it pertained to is it going to be Kadarius Tony? Is it going to be Wandale Robinson? Like what what's going to happen with with that particular um, role in in this new offense and and everything like that? But you know what what does Wandale bring to the table in your mind? And, and you know how do you approach that for this year? Yeah, I actually should have brought this up in the news part of the of the podcast earlier because um, Kadarius Tony was lining up outside in the starting offense. So last year he was playing only the slot. And part of that had to do with, like, he just wasn't learning routes. So they just said, okay, be in the slot, look for the ball, okay? And that's that's all he really needs because then he just starts juking everybody and that's all it really takes. So I was worried that, especially after all that leaks to the the New York Daily News guy and some other people, they were saying the the Giants were trying to trade Tony. And then they took Robinson, 47th overall, which was way higher than I was expecting. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they took him 47th overall. Wandale can do a little bit outside, but he's – Primarily a slot player. He's 5'8", 180. He's just kind of how you got to do it. He's only going to play outside when they're like four wide or three wide and it's a two-minute drill. Or, or, you know, they're trying to get a, a field goal at the end of half, stuff like that. Otherwise, he's got to be in the slot. So Tony, if he's in the slot, loses to Robinson is how I saw it. But if Tony's lining up outside and if he's doing well outside, then there's room for both. And uh, I would have to raise my Tony. I actually was looking earlier how to raise my how to raise Tony in the, the 150 rankings thing that was posted on the site. Cause I, I probably have him way too low right now. Cause I, I didn't know what the hell they were going to do with him. I, I didn't even know they were considering him outside. So Tony he, is healthy by the way. Um, yeah, Julian the wants to is, know he's, he's good to go. He's not just lining up outside. He had at least one really good play yesterday. The kind of play he never made at Florida, the kind of play that uh, we didn't have reason to believe he could make. Uh, and specifically he was, he was lining up outside and he made uh, like a back shoulder, uh, jumping catch in the end zone it was over a backup corner but still it's it's not bad it's a start and he yeah. athleticism wise frame wise tony should be able to do any of that stuff there's no reason why he shouldn't be able to do it so uh, i think tony could be good outside and that's still in any case clears room for robinson and i think robinson's going too late uh, i think the giants are going to trade slayton probably uh probably like a sixth or fifth rounder to i don't even know who somebody maybe the, maybe the chargers maybe the rams but Baltimore. they're going to trade uh, maybe. I don't know. If, he's so skinny. I don't know if he really suits their kind of, you know, run. I guess Bateman's pretty skinny. But hey, I think Slayton's good, so he, he better be getting traded because he's too good to be on the bench. Um, but in any case, I think Robinson, um, he, he's he's one of those guys that I was really high on going into the combine. And then when he was listed at 5'8 rather than 5'11, I was just despairing. And I was like, oh, God, it's not going to happen. Uh, but then when they took him 47th overall, I was kind of like, oh, well, I didn't expect that. But you know, maybe maybe I maybe I got a little too, uh, you know, sad before, and I, I kind of became hysterical. But then I, the, going back and looking at all the tape of Robinson in college and looking at his stats again, now I'm back in. I'm I'm like way That's too high cool. on him now. I, okay. I think Robinson's going to be sick. I think he's going to be awesome. He, I mean, he's had so, like his career path has been so interesting. I think he was like Mr. Football in the state of Kentucky. Goes to Nebraska, kind of like one of like the the feathers in the cap early on in the Scott Frost era. They never really figured out how to use him. Uh, it goes back to Kentucky, just crushes it last year. Like it literally like carried the offense on, on his back. It was so nuts. Like it, I think, whereas, it, and this is slightly like off script, but whereas people are worried about um, Arkansas dropping off with, without Traylon Burks, I think you can apply a similar level of concern when it comes to Kentucky without Wandale Robinson, because he was I mean he accounted for such like a high percentage of their their targets their yards he was everything to that passing game the way the way that Burks was down at Arkansas so um you know even more like yeah so we get to see the proof 
you see that Kentucky quarterback getting some hype, and I don't know if I can buy into it. I know he's toolsy and big and whatever else, but Wandale had 45.7% of their receiving yardage, which is insane. That's, mm-hmm. that's probably more than like DJ Moore had that one ridiculous year at Maryland when they had the third string linebacker playing quarterback. Yep. Uh, and they could only throw like one route of play, so it was always DJ Moore. Uh, yep. Wandale had 45.7% while outplaying their catch rates baseline by 6.1 points, 66.1% to 72.2, and 1.3 yards per target, 8.0 to 9.3. So to take on that level of, sh- of a burden of the share of the, the production, have the defense gunning for you every single play and still outplay the team baseline by that level, I, I actually can't remember anything like it. No, t- totally dominant. And, and against SEC competition, like, yeah, what Wandale was absolute rock star last year. I'm excited to see what, what he's able to do with the Giants. And, and I, I think that, that they'll have an offense that, that kind of counts for him, uses him the, the right way in, in an interesting way. So Ju- Julia wants to know, you know, while, while we're here on the Giants, you know, how do you project out the, the fantasy pecking order for, for this group of pass catchers? Yeah, I definitely have Wandale third, even though I'm high on him. It's just that he's he's going in, the, I think, like the 17th, 16th, sometimes maybe even undrafted range of best ball. You don't need Wandale in redraft, I don't think. And in redraft, if we're talking Giants receivers, I'm only looking at Kadarius Tony and, and Kenny Galladay. Tony's been going for a lot more than Galladay, even before we had this kind of evidence of him playing outside. So Tony might get more expensive yet. And I'm probably not going to buy if so, because then I'm, I don't project, I don't project Daniel Jones to throw for enough for Tony to be worth like a seventh, six round pick Galladay to go in the 12th or whatever he does. And then also have Robinson produce the way I think he will. So I I'm more interested in Galladay, practically speaking, but I, there is a pretty good case to make for Tony being ranked first. I, I, I don't know if I share it, but I'm not even really trying to figure out the answer. Cause I definitely don't want Tony if I got to pay in the sixth or something like that. Yeah. So it's, Tony's going to be fascinating because like it, he's someone that I was in on going into last year and I didn't think I was going to be. Um, but the more, the more I thought about it, the more I thought about, you know, his after the catch ability, I thought, okay, Daniel Jones stinks, but you don't have to send Tony down like all that far down the field to get him the ball. So just get him the ball at the line of scrimmage and let Tony cook. And that, that's kind of what I thought was, was going to be the role. And it was a short, but pretty solid little sample that he put down last year and then obviously all the off-season stuff showing up with the wrong size shoes or showing up with no shoes on I think at one point um, <laughs> in, in April uh yeah it, it got it got weird so I have no uh share so I, I might have to just hold my nose and and, and uh, acquire some Tony at the, at the new um ADP but he is pretty electric, so I'm gonna to have to get it get in on that. It by by hook or by crook. Galladay is good too. Is the only thing, and I know he had a dreadful year last year, but if if Dable is the guy, then Galladay is going up too, and and people are just writing him off, which I think is too hasty. Yeah, I, th- I think so as well. It's not that long ago that he was a really productive player. Um, let's see here. We've got a couple of listener questions. Better all around talent. Uh, Wandale or Sky Moore? I really don't know. I they just kind of. I think they're both things. so specific, and I think Wandale is more varied in his skill set than Sky Moore is too. Yeah, Moore might be the better downfield guy just because he's a little bigger. But I just I don't know. I I like them both. I, I think Wandale's easier to use as like a backfield guy too. That's the other thing. Matt Breida being the second running back behind Saquon, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Wandale get like 30 carries this year at, and some yeah. actually at running back because he has played there. 
So, um, but in any case, I, I like them both. I, I don't really have a strong feeling. I, I, in Dynasty, I would put Sky Moore ahead just because he is with Patrick Mahomes. Uh, and that matters just as much as, uh, you know, the talent question in that case. Uh, but I see this other question here, uh, the other listener, uh, about whether to keep Cooper Cup at pick 2.1 or Bateman at 12.1. You either have to keep Cup or you have to trade him before keeping Bateman. You can't let Cup go at 2.1. It's I know it's not as much of a kind of like bargain or whatever, but it's a huge one and it's the guy that we have you know safely projected in the top five and you can't you can't pass on that at, at uh, uh, 13th in my opinion. No, no, I don't, I don't think so either. That that's a good call uh, there for the, for that uh, viewer over there on YouTube. Uh, let's round it out. Let's get to one more guy. Um, I want to keep it with receivers, and I think there's a little bit of, of more recent buzz as, as it pertains to this guy. So I, I'm using that phrase too much today. Got to tighten that up. But Romeo Dubs, my guy coming out of Nevada, loved him at Nevada the last couple of years. Him and Carson Strong, that connection was awesome. Dubs obviously falls fairly far in the draft. You know, maybe not not like the the most top end athleticism, but you look at the Packers. You look at how much they, they needed the youth infusion at wide receiver after after trading away Devontae Adams, all that all that good stuff, and then also not taking a receiver in the first round. Christian Watson, of course, draws a lot of the attention, being the, the first receiver off the board for the Packers. But I liked the the way that the Packers backfilled it. I, I didn't expect it to pay immediate dividends when it when it comes to Dubs or even Samari Torre, but Dubs apparently seems to be working his way in. Yeah, so Watson is on the PUP list. I, I can't remember if it was a knee or whatever. Uh, he does have a knee injury history, which I didn't realize. And uh, I'm, I'm really concerned for Christian Watson. I think it was a bad pick. I think Packers didn't do their homework on him or Devontae Wyatt, who it, it seems like they might not have known some things about. Uh, I'm worried for that offense in general. But, <laughs> oh, bless you. In best ball, hell, even in some redraft cases, I mean, I, don't, I think Romeo Dubs could be a, a – a big deal, even if the Packers are disappointing on offense, because so I, I love Sammy Watkins. I think he's better than most people think, certainly, but he is a weird guy and he does have an injury history and he's not as young as he used to be. So it's easy enough to imagine Sammy Watkins not being able to play at some point this year. And if that happens, then Alan Lazard is the only, you know, vaguely proven outside receiver that they have. It's, it's, if Watson is back, I still like Dubs' chances of getting back in. <laughs> And in the meantime, we got we got plenty of reports just from practice today about Dubs running with the first team. And that's not to say he's in the first team. People got to learn how to become literate at these things. You see things all the time about some guy getting a rep with the first team. They're like, oh, but I guess Jordan Wilkins is starting over Jonathan Taylor. He's getting a first team rep. Oh, better <laughs> shake up your rankings, you morons. Like, yeah, that, that that's that's just chum for suckers. And the people posting that know it. They know that you're just going to retweet things and freak out about it. And they're, they're misleading you on purpose. But uh, Dubs is is getting some first team reps and he's winning them and he's not just winning them against anybody like he had a touchdown today over Eric Stokes. He's not a great corner, but he's pretty good. And if I Dubs really is like able him. to, yeah, I like Stokes. But if he if he if, if Dubs can beat guys like Stokes and if he's catching passes from Rodgers in practice, Watson already has a problem. Even when he's healthy, Watson already has a problem because he's raw. He hasn't run the kind of routes that they're going to be running this year. He's he's getting distance running. I'm sure when he's healthy, he's going to get you know at least 20 snaps a game. And he's going to be running deep probably every one of those snaps that he's not blocking. But Dubs can get open and he can catch passes. And he's getting the reps with Rodgers right now. So 
we keep seeing Dubs score touchdowns over Eric Stokes. If we keep hearing about Stokes so much as covering Dubs in practice, then it's time to start to wonder. And, and uh, I, I talk in this article about how he's a good risky pick in the 18th round. Like if you if you're especially in a tournament and, and you're you're just indifferent to risk as long as it comes with upside. Dubs always made sense in the 18th round, and his price is going to go up if this stuff keeps getting out. Let's go. All right, so we're we're in on the we're in ground floor uh, on the on the Dubs helium, and it feels good, feels right. Um, I'm I'm excited for him. It is right, John. It's 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 just the right way to be. See exactly. So that'll that'll do it. I mean, we we end on, on a high note there, um, but that's going to do it for us here on this edition of the RotoWire Fantasy Football Podcast. Again, brought to you by our friends over at Dynasty Owner. For Mario Puig, I'm John McKechnie. Thanks for listening. And also make sure to tune in to Friday's show because we have Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast rolling every single day of the week. Also, speaking of Mario, uh, more just kind of general fantasy football, we have a TikTok. Follow us on Rotowire uh, or at Rotowire over on TikTok. Guess how many views uh, the view uh, the TikTok of myself and Jason Thornberry has from Vegas? Um, what were you doing in it? Uh, I was, I was just spreading the word about Alberta while, uh, Thorne was, uh, assaulting me. Oh, okay. Um, well, it's, if you had said like a dance, I would have said, you know, 2 million or something. But if, if you guys were arguing about Albert O and Jason was picking you up and waving your body like a helicopter over his head, I'll say 400,000. We'll go with that. Close enough. Okay. <laughs> it was, it was like 10,000. Way up than that, so oh, okay. still, still, still good. But I was not I, trying to say real numbers. Is, I can't do it. I don't know how that uh, works. The four hundred, not that far off. It's attainable, maybe. So, so we're we're doing good. Maybe by the end of the day, let's juice it. All right, TikTok, follow us there if you're a TikToker. But well, that's gonna do it for us here on the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast. Again, brought to you by our friends at Dynasty Owner. Catch you next week. Try Roadwire today, free for ten days. Get our premium tools. Rankings, analysis, and breaking news alerts. No credit card required. Go to rotowire.com forward slash try.